Several people have asked me if I'd be willing to sing. And uh, years ago, my daughter and I, we, uh, we recorded music at a studio called Faith Music Missions. I really no, never thought I'd be able to record. I didn't think I'd be able to afford it. As I grew up at our home church, um, our deacons and many of the people who served with my family had asked me over the years uh, to record music. I just never thought that it would be uh, feasible. And uh, my daughter, who started my second-born daughter, her name's Rebecca. She's not here with us now. And, um, she started to learn to play the piano by ear, and she had a gift for it. If there was ever somebody as a piano player who could find chords that matched my soul, it was my daughter, Becca. And uh, we started a nursing home ministry at a place called Crabapple Nursing Home. Of all things to name a nursing home, Crabapple was kindly fitting for some of those folks. But uh, we went in there that first week, and um, I just started singing the songs that I grew up singing, like Leave It There and other songs, uh, to minister to people. And there was rarely a dry eye in the house. And it was there where, you know, the Lord kind of borne out a dream of mine, you know. I've seen the Lord, many dreams of mine have come true, and I still have yet things that I pray for uh, that I look forward to the Lord doing. But I hope this will work. I'm not sure if it will or not, um, but this is what we recorded. I hope the song's a blessing to you. Of course it didn't hook up. Technology is a great blessing, you know. If you've never, um, if you've never known what uh, uh, the spiritual gift of sarcasm is, I certainly have it. We shall see. Who? That means it turned on. Now you don't have to turn me up too loud, brother. It'll ring like crazy. I've, I'll, I'll sing pretty loud. So. We've had to use this in several different places, but I hope it's a blessing to you. When the storms of life are raging, stand by me. ship upon the sea, thou who rulest wind and water, stand by me. In the midst of tribulation, stand by me. Stand by me when the hosts of hell assail and my strength begins to fail. Thou who never lost a battle, stand by me. 
faults and failures stand by me. In the midst of faults and failures stand by me. My friends misunderstand Thou who knowest all about me Stand by me When I'm growing old and feeble Stand by me praise the Lord for his goodness and for allowing us to be here. And it has been a good day for me. Um, it's been a good day of fellowship. And I've got to be honest while I'm looking some things up here. When we started the day out, <clears throat> you know, you really never know what to expect when you're coming into a new church. I've never been here before. But when we started the day out with prayer in the room, we were over here uh, in the conference room at about 9 o'clock with some of the leaders of the church. And I I really sensed the Spirit of God as we were praying. And uh, Jesus said that His house should be called the house of prayer. And it did good for my soul to pray with you men. Those of you who came and prayed, I I certainly appreciate your prayers. Our family needs your prayers, and I know that your church needs our prayers, and we will be praying for you. You know, we, we have been through situations before, churches needing pastors and such, and not every man is for every congregation. I understand that. Um, just so you know, a few things about us. Uh, Brother Wayne, he said something about uh, us being a Yankee today. Well, I want you to know my wife came from Memphis in Tennessee. <laughs> and so I got a southern girl, and uh, she was raised in the north. Her daddy was, would come north looking for work. Yeah, we, we do have a I told you I was a Yankee, but I, I was raised in a southern church in Michigan. And uh, when I married, I married the very best. And uh, I'm just, I'm trusting. I'm, I'm, I'm not hunting for any opportunity, never have. I know if God wants something, he'll make it clear to everybody. And that's what we need as a family. And that's what this church needs as a church. And my prayers go out to you and for you during this time. I know that whenever a church is without a pastor, it's a, it's a hard thing. It's a challenging thing, and it can be unsettling. But God has his churches in his hand. I mean, he, know, he, he, he walks in the midst of the candlesticks. And uh, this is a lighthouse. Your church has been a lighthouse. 
Um, I, I was told Brother Bruce Martin. I don't see Brother Bruce. Is he here? Oh, he'd take somebody home. I figured he'd skip afternoon services, but <laughs> no, I, I knew Brother Bruce had been sent out of this church, and, and I thought this was the, the church that he's been sent out of. Uh, Brother Milton Martin and his family have been pioneers in missions for many years. The church that I grew up in was a big supporter of missions. I believe in missions myself. I believe in faith promise missions. My wife and I have given towards that since 2001, and um, we, we believe in it. And I believe that when a church supports missions, the devil fights it, but it is still the heartbeat of God. And for a church to send out as many people as this church has shows me that there are people here with a heart for God's heartbeat. And uh, God knows who you are, and he will help you uh, during this phase of your church's history. Before we get started today, I wanted to share something with you that one of my friends had shared online several weeks ago. His name is Brother Don Ball, preacher friend of mine from the west side of Missouri. He says, or he shared this, As a preacher, I conduct many funerals, and I was recently asked by a funeral director to preach at a graveside service for a homeless man. He had no family or friends, so the service was to be at a country cemetery. As I was not familiar with the area, I got lost. I finally arrived late and saw that the funeral guy had evidently gone and the hearse was nowhere in sight. There were only the diggers and the crew, and they were eating lunch. I felt badly and apologized to the men for being late. I went to the side of the grave and looked down, and the vault lid was already in place. I didn't know what else to do, so I started to preach. The workers put down their lunches and began to gather around. I preached my heart out for this man with no family and friends. As I preached, the workers began to weep. They wept, I wept, we all wept together. When I finished, I closed my Bible and started for my car. Though my heart was sad, my heart was full. As I opened the door to my car, I heard one of the workers say, I've never seen nothing like that before, and I've been putting in septic tanks for 20 years. (laughs) He said, apparently, I still don't know where that country cemetery is. And you know how preachers are. Sometimes they share things, and uh, they're not exactly true, but I found that to be funny. If you would, turn your Bibles this, e- this afternoon to the book of Psalm and the 51st chapter, Psalm 51. When you find your place in God's Word, if you would stand out of respect for God's Word and also to try to keep you awake this afternoon. Psalm 51, we'll read just a few verses beginning in verse number 10. Psalm 51 and 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. May God put a blessing upon the reading of his word. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we pray, Lord, this afternoon that you would help me as I preach and help those who are listening. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to evaluate our lives as your people. And I pray that you would bless the service. Lord, keep me out of the way 
And uh, Lord, speak to hearts as you only can do during preaching services. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Those of you who know your Bibles understand that this passage of Scripture is in the middle of David's penitent psalm after he had committed some terrible sins. He violated specific commands in the Scripture. Of course, we know that David committed adultery and then he murdered Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, in order to cover up his sin. It is an incredible thing to consider how David had fallen. This was a man whom God had used in such a mighty way up to that point in the passage of Scripture where he, what we want to title it, fall into sin, or when he decided to make those terribly sinful decisions. It's amazing to me how David went from a strong man, a courageous man, a valiant man going down into the valley of Elah and then, you know, going through all those years trusting God to keep him safe from Saul and now after becoming the king and seeing God do wonderful things in his life in a moment of, of weakness and for only a few moments of pleasure, he sacrificed the blessing of God on his life and plunged him and his family into such a sinful situation that would go with him to the, to the rest, for the rest of his life. Second Samuel 23 declares to us the last words of David. It says that David was known as the sweet psalmist of Israel, the man who, raised, who was raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and Jacob, or the Bible says in 2 Samuel 23, 2 and 3, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. God literally used David to pen the words of Scripture for us. In Psalm 22, a psalm of David, it starts out with the words, perhaps you're familiar with them, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Were not first uttered by Jesus although Jesus spoke them in a different language, was uttered by David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. Many messianic psalms were written by this man. Some of the greatest psalms of all time, Psalm 23, which declares that the Lord is my shepherd, was written by the sweet psalmist of Israel. The Hebrew songbook was much written by David. And yet, David, when he was lifted up as the king... He committed great sins against the Lord. And like so many characters in the Scripture, he learned the truths of Galatians 6, 7, and 8, which says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Talks about he that soweth to the flesh, love the flesh, reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit, shall love the Spirit, reap life everlasting. So there's good and bad too. You reap what you sow. You ever met anybody who cherry-picked the Scriptures and they always wanted to use the negative end of the handle? Well, it's not just the negative with the Lord. If you sow to the Spirit, you get blessings. You sow to the flesh, you get not blessings. You're going to pay. You'll pay the price. You will reap what you sow. You don't get away with sin. So many uh, people in the Bible found this out. And we, as God's people, will find the same thing out. You cannot play with sin and expect that nothing is going to happen. Sin costs you something, and often it costs the people around you something. In David's life, it cost him a great deal. In Psalm 32, which is a parallel psalm that David penned during this time of penitence in his life, 
He said, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. David talked about this time when he kept silence and he didn't get right with God. You know, one thing we could say about David, and it's a message for another time, is he responded properly to the point where the preacher confronted him and said, Thou art the man. You know, everybody has choices. You might remember when Elijah, you know, dealt with the prophets of Baal, Ahab and Jezebel didn't respond in a very good fashion. In fact, Jezebel said, if you're not dead by tomorrow, you know, you're going to be dead by tomorrow. Of course, she was a liar. And she had no problem. She, she had no power over Elijah. But she didn't respond well to that miracle that took place at Mount Carmel. David, on the other hand, when he was confronted with sin, and God said, thou art the man, he humbled himself. He could have had Nathan killed. He could have had Nathan put in prison, as other prophets were put in prison when they told the truth, but he didn't. He humbled himself and he became uh, repentant and he, he sought after God. And of course, these passages in the Bible deal with David's restoration and him crying out to God to restore him. You see what happened to David, and we'll only focus on one verse from verses 10 through 13. David in verse number 12 says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. David had lost his joy. There wasn't any joy anymore. Sin does that to you. You know, if you're walking around and you have no joy, something's wrong spiritually. Because the book of Nehemiah tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And there are so many people today that are focused on things. Things that are not the Lord. That their mind has been focused on other things and it's taken them away from the joy of the Lord. And the Lord certainly wants us to have joy. David's sin is what had stolen his joy. His decisions had stolen his joy. He fell into the trap of the devil. Many others in Scripture thought that sin could work out for, for them. Eve believed the devil. The devil promised Eve good things if she took the fruit. Well, what, what about it, Eve? Did it work out? Yeah. Did you like looking in the mirror as you got older? Did it work out for you, Eve? Did you, did, did you enjoy it when one of your sons murdered your other son? None of that would have happened if you didn't eat the fruit. But hey, the devil's great. You're missing out. You're missing out by not eating that fruit. All they had to do was stay away from that. But the devil promised her that God was trying to keep her from something good in her life. And just like everything else the devil promises, he's a liar and the father of lies. Sin never blesses anybody. Sin never helps anybody. Sin steals things from us. Cain thought sin would work out for him when he decided to worship his own way. And he was cursed of God and lived his whole life looking over his shoulder as a fugitive and a, bag and a vagabond. Lot thought, Lot thought it would work out when he pitched his tent toward Sodom and raised his family. It, it wound up in the very gate of the city. He just pitched his tent toward Sodom, but eventually ended up right in the middle of Sodom. Lost his whole family. And the angel said, don't look back. And even his own wife, her heart was back there in Sodom. She didn't want to leave that place. Saul thought it would work out for him when he partially obeyed the Lord, but it cost him his kingdom. And he later thought it was a good idea to see a witch, to call up a deceased prophet, and his last meal was eaten from a witch. You know, sin doesn't work, folks. Sin doesn't work. It never works. 
It'll always cost you something. And it steals our joy. When David says here, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, this joy, this joy can be taken from us when we choose to live in a sinful lifestyle. You know, Jesus said, I want to give you, you know, joy. And he wants you to have joy unspeakable and full of glory. And the Lord wants you to enjoy your life. Amen. He wants you, he gives, the Bible says he gives us all things richly to enjoy. But sin, it usually starts small. A little here, a little there. Giving in here and giving in there. Several years ago, I was doing a, a remote inspection with a fellow that owned a business up in Canada. He owned a business called Phoenix Agritech. He's a multimillionaire. He, he, how many of you have heard the story of Sully Sullenberger? You know, the, air, the airline pilot who landed a plane on the Hudson? You remember what caused him to get into the Hudson? Birds. You know, just the little things, you know. Just flying a big airplane, a couple birds come by and take both engines out. Hey, we're going to be in the Hudson. Well, you know, people have thought about this before. Some very smart people said, how can we avoid having birds flying by an airport? So they've just designed these things called a whaler. You know, it's not talking about, you know, the Baptist nursery kids, okay? Even though sometimes a Baptist nursery could be described as whalers, okay? God bless you women who work in the nursery, okay? It's called a whaler, and it runs off birds that are native to an area to where there won't be bird strikes with, with airplanes. It's not, it not only works around airlines and airports, it, all, it also works in agricultural settings. In fact, when I was talking to this business owner, he was describing to me how he designed this system for a man in Canada who grew a crop of low brush blueberries. Now, blueberries is one of the fruits that I, as a diabetic, can enjoy a little portion of. Now, I am serious about my diabetes. I'd like to keep all my limbs. So I love a Baptist table that has a smorgasbord of sugary desserts. You ladies did a great job today. I commend you. What a, what a meal we had. But don't be offended when I don't eat your desserts because I want to keep my toes and my feet. Okay? I, I had to quit. I was, my, my diabetes had gotten away from me, and I, I made some decisions. In any event, I'm running rabbit trails, and that's, that's the men of this church's fault for asking me to preach on a Sunday afternoon. It's not my fault. I didn't get enough coffee. In any event... He was telling me how that he put this whaler system because there were, I think it was seagulls that were coming into this low brush blueberry field and it was eating up all this guy's crops. And he, he came in, he said, you know, I can sell you a system, this system, it'll run all these birds out of your crops. And he said, well, how much will it cost me? And he said, for $14,000, I can keep these birds out of your crop during harvest time. And it would play the sounds of, of, of predators and those birds would not land in those crops. And the very first year that he made a $14,000 investment and he took in so many multiplied more bushels, he had no idea how many bushels those birds were eating. I think he made over a, I think he made over a million dollars on a, on a $14,000 investment by keeping those seagulls out of, out of his low brush blueberries. By run, and the guy was an environmentalist. And he said, well, what's going to happen to these birds if you put this system in? He said, don't worry, they'll, they'll go on to my next customer. <laughs> And I started thinking about that and how many Christians have let these birds come into our crops and they're, what they're doing is stealing all of our joys. We've let these little sin birds come in. You know, I found myself during the last election cycle and I was really struggling because you know what? I made a mistake of listening to too much of the news. I'm just here to tell you, I'm not happy with what's going on in the world. But there's only so much news we as Christians need to be watching. 
I knew people who started forsaking all their Bible reading and all the basics of being a Christian, and all they were doing was focused on the news cycles and getting all this hate and everything else going on to each other. Listen, I'm here and I will be involved in the political system, but it's not going to control everything about my life. Christ is going to control everything about my life. Last I checked, Nero was in power when Paul wrote most of the scriptures, and we hadn't had Nero in charge of the United States yet. Not even close, folks. So if those people can live as Christians, we certainly can live as Christians in this environment. No matter what takes place. No matter what kind. You know, I know who's in charge of the system of this world. The prince and the power of the air is in charge of this system. And guess what? God's still accomplishing his purposes in the midst of all this. God's still saving souls, and I'm thankful. But I don't want to let these birds come into my, my crops and steal the joy that I should have with the Lord. And what I was finding was that I was continually frustrated because of what I was listening to. Now, just like I preached a little bit on podcasts earlier today. if You know, a lot of the news, have you ever wondered when you're watching the news, why in the world are they even reporting on some of this stuff? I mean, some things are just not newsworthy. You know, your mind is going exactly where those news people want your mind to go because you're thinking about what's being told to you. And all I could tell you was I was in continual frustration and I found myself in a place, spiritually speaking, where I was not in a good place. I said, what's wrong with me? Sometimes it's I hadn't eaten, you know. i got a good wife. Sometimes she'll give me a sandwich if she knows I need to eat something. You need to get something in here. I'm sorry for everything I ever said when I was hungry. Anybody, anybody else ever wear that shirt? You ever have a problem? You're in a bad mood because you hadn't eaten something. How many of you men have had a blind spot and you just, you know, you, you were hungry and you didn't realize it and all of a sudden you're snapping and you're, you know, you're a little bit in the flesh. Well, all I can tell you is the devil had come in and stolen some of my crops and my focus was not in the Lord. I want to talk about some of the bad choices that Christians can make this afternoon very briefly that, that will steal away some of your joy. Not focusing on Christ will steal your joy. There, there's a bad choice of being distracted. News cycles, wrong sources. Many of us are pretty good now at checking Facebook and Instagram and every, all the social media platforms. And I'm here to tell you, if you've forsaken your private time with the Lord and you're giving all your time to social media or the news or the newspaper, whatever it is that your, your new source of choice is, you've made a bad decision and you'll be distracted from where your mind ought to be. There's also a bad choice of departing from the, front, the fundamentals. You know, I used to coach a basketball team in Missouri. I enjoy sports. I enjoy competition. We couldn't win if my boys didn't know how to dribble. Okay? If you can't dribble, don't shoot a three. We're going to start with dribbling first. And a lot of people have gone away from the very basics. You know, it's kind of like in baseball. You learn which way to run if you hit the ball. What is, what, how, how good is it if you get a hit and you run to third base first? It ain't going to do you any good. You've got to learn where to go. You know, you've got to learn how to do it. You know, if you're trying to beat out a single to first base, you don't, you don't stop right on the base. You run through the bag. You know, it's, you ever had somebody who's coaching didn't have any idea what they were doing to coach a sport? All I'm saying is when you're dealing with sports, you've got to start with the fundamentals. How to do the little things. And as a Christian, the little things are reading your Bible, going to church, regularly praying, seeking after the Lord. These are the very basics. When you get beyond just being a normal Christian, then you get into try to serve and win souls to the Lord and, and give and learn about all the things about giving and being generous. All I'm saying is a lot of people make a bad choice by departing from the fundamentals of the faith. Sacrificing, tithing, our tithes and offers, offerings. By the way, God loves a cheerful giver. 
God wants you to be cheerful. It's not, it's not oh, we got to tithe again. I don't have to tithe. I get to tithe. God's taking very good care of us. One of the best decisions we made as a married couple was to give God the first of our increase. It wasn't the last fruits. It wasn't the crumbs that fell from the table. It was the first fruits. God said, you look at me first. God's principles are always the same. God first, then your family. Same thing with your wallet. If you put God first, you'll see how God puts it first. Oh, you're one of those preachers that preach on money. I'm one of those preachers that believe the Bible about money. And I practice it too. And I love it. I love giving to the Lord. It's a privilege of ours to give. There's a bad choice of disparaging God and God's people. Listen, if you put your eyes on who's sitting in the next pew and you start judging their lives and being critical of somebody, it will not take you long to find flaws in me or my family, and it's probably not going to take you long to figure out what the flaws are. Good night. If I want to find out what your flaws are, sir, all I need to do is talk to your wife. Oh, it's true. Hey, listen, when you get married... You see pretty, pretty intimately some of the failures and flaws of your spouse. But you don't, you don't stay married because they're perfect. You stay married because you chose to love them. Even in the midst of their imperfections. You know, some men, they make a real bad decision and they think, well, I'm going to change her. No, you don't marry someone to change them. You, you marry them to love them. And a lot of times the change is brought by, um, sir, living by uh, making a good example, being a good example. You know, now I'm not going to get into preaching about marriage and things like that, but I know that some people make a bad decision to just disparage God and his people in the church. Well, this one did this and this one did that. Well, what about you? Have you ever failed in church? You ever said something you shouldn't have about somebody else? You ever thought something you shouldn't have even in church? Listen, folks, if we pulled a screen down and we put down just what everybody in this room has thought throughout the day, we'd probably leave this room kicking and screaming. Say, oh, no, not me. No, we are sinners. We think things we shouldn't. We do things we shouldn't. The church isn't good because the church is perfect. The church will not be perfect. And in any church, you can focus on the problems of the church or you can focus on being a solution or being a lover of God. You know, we, we don't go to a perfect church. No church is perfect. Many people make the bad choice of disparaging God and God's people. Other people make the bad choice of digging their feet in when they know they're in sin. But I want to I encourage you this afternoon. Why don't we think about making some good choices? Why don't we get these birds out of our blueberry crops? Number one, as a Christian, focus on Christ. Sunday ought to be an easy day to do that because we're sitting around with each other singing songs and hearing the preaching of God's word. It is good to lift up our voices and sing to the Lord and focus upon the Lord. I've got all week where I've got to deal with problems. And even as a pastor, sometimes on Sundays, I've got to deal with problems. But a problem is not going to become my God. That means if I think about a problem more than I think about the Lord, the problem has the wrong place in my life. The Lord ought to take front and center in my life. The Lord ought to be my focus. The scripture says, even David said in another one of his psalms, that his heart was fixed. Secondly, how about investing in the eternal? In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul told Timothy to lay hold on eternal life. That means to think about the eternal. When you give your offering and you give towards a missionary who's going to take that money and then preach the gospel to people that you can't make it to, that's investing in the eternal. 
When you're ministering to a widow, a brother was praying this morning, I believe it was one of the brother Allens, who quoted one of my favorite passages in the Bible where it says that pure religion and undefiled before the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep yourself unspotted from the, from the world. Listen, I want to tell you something who God cares about. He cares about widows and he cares about orphans. Don't ever mess with them, and you ought to treat them kindly. That's called investing in the eternal when you choose to minister to someone who's like that. That's investing in the eternal. I understand that people in this church pick up kids from the community. Thank God for that. Kids need the gospel. That's called investing in the eternal. You say, but, you know, kids can get the church dirty. Good. Good the kids can get the church dirty. When you lose children in a church, you'll lose the church. Invest in the eternal. Make some good choices. Learn to love, forgive, and be a blessing to others. I won't amount to anything with the Lord if I don't learn to love the way the Lord loved, if I don't learn to forgive. The place where I practice love and forgiveness the most is in my home. My wife and I could not stay married if we didn't believe in love and forgiveness. You know, you ever seen a marriage dissolve because... A husband said, I'll never forgive you. That's not something the Lord would want you to say, sir. But Moses said we could write a bill of divorce. He said, for the hardness of your heart, you couldn't forgive that. And you think about the context that Christ was talking about, what he was talking about forgiving there. Some of the hardest things that a man could ever forgive a woman for. He said, only because of the hardness of your heart did God allow that to take place. We need to learn to forgive. It's a spirit of unforgiveness that can destroy families, will destroy churches, will destroy relationships. Make some good choices. Learn to forgive. Who is a great example of a human forgiver in the Scripture? I mean, you can't go much further than the book of Genesis before you see Joseph hugging and kissing on his brothers, putting his arms around their neck after they threw him in a pit and sold him into slavery. I know a lot of people that could never do that because I'll never forgive you and some people have people in the jail cell of their heart and they will not let them go and they've allowed the devil to steal their joy because they won't forgive lastly get right with God when he deals with you if God starts massaging something in your heart and he could during preaching you know I'm a preacher of the Bible you know David said restore to me the joy of thy salvation that's the thought that we're preaching on today It's a biblical thought that someone's joy could be taken because of sinful decisions. When a preacher preaches the Bible, God takes that and sometimes the Holy Spirit starts knocking on someone's heart and saying, Sir, ma'am, young person, older person, that's you, I'm talking to you. It's not because of the oratory ability of the preacher, it's because the Spirit of God takes preaching and he helps people. He's trying to help you. God speaks to people through preaching. Read 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1 says, The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved. It's the power of God. Preaching still gets the job done. We still believe in preaching, and it's not just the preacher who's responsible for that. There needs to be people praying. There needs to be people responding. A healthy church has people in all the different positions who are playing their role. Right now, it's my role to preach. I'm just, I'm preaching. You know what God does? Sometimes he takes that spirit of God and he'll start drawing someone. And it could, it could be something. I, I've met people that got saved when the preacher was preaching on tithing. 
It doesn't really matter what the preacher's preaching on. God can take sermons and draw people to himself. And there could be somebody here today. And there's something on your mind. Has the devil stolen your joy? Has sinful decisions, has your lack of focus on the Lord stolen some things from you? I want to encourage you this afternoon. The devil steals your joy when you refuse to get right with God. The devil steals your joy when you believe lies. The devil steals your joy when he gets you distracted. May God help you to even recognize yourself. You know, have you ever met somebody that just couldn't self-diagnose? They couldn't evaluate themselves and say, something's wrong with me. I'm going to tell you something. If you're ever going to get right with God, you're going to be sensitive to what God's talking to you about as you come to church and as you're reading the book. You, know, you need to be sensitive to what God is dealing with you, with you about. You know, you never know. If you make that, there could be somebody in this church today that could unlock all kinds of revival in this church. Just one move toward the Lord. Just one man who says, you know what, I'm going to get right with God today. That's right. I got something going on in my life. I need to get this right. Come confess it before the Lord. Maybe there's some heartache that's taken over your heart and your life. You know, God doesn't want you to spend your life. There's some things my heart is broken about today. There's some people in my life that I'm praying for. And there are times in my life when I go into that room and I bow the knee and I cry. And I give it to God. I want to tell you something. When I get up off that altar, my heart still is broken in that compartment. But that door shuts and I go back to trusting in my God. Because I know that God answers prayer. Now, I don't know what the Lord has used the message for in your life, but I pray that if God's spoken to you, you'll be responsive. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed as we prepare for a verse of invitation. It'll be a wonderful day in God's house. If God's people, those who name the name of Christ, who know the Lord in salvation, They have something in their life that needs to be made right with God. I want to encourage you, Christian friend, don't don't be like David. Don't think just a little bit, it'll be okay. Sin's joys do not last, but Christ, his joy, his ultimate satisfaction, will leave you fulfilled. As we play this number, Brother Davison sings, if God spoke in your heart, I want you to come.
There's some of you that serve God just out of duty. Because yeah. I have to, because it's expected. Because, But there's no joy. Without the, he said, he, he quoted Nehemiah. He said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. You serve without the joy. You can serve for a while, but you're going to fall. That's right. It's all going to be taken away. Real service is out of a heart full of the joy of the Lord. I just pray God will give us back our joy. Yeah. Give us that excitement, that warmth of soul that says I love you Lord and I want to serve you Satan can't knock you off that perch God will, God will take care of you it will keep you going don't, don't fool with you know we talk about sin and we always think about out there somewhere. sometimes we sin right here That poor preacher I talked to at lunch, completely, that church is, he's got a building, but no church. He's just looking for a place where somebody loves God and can get a little comfort. We need each other, church. We need to get hooked up close to him. Well, I guess y'all I guess y'all uh, can it wasn't me. Uh, Lonnie and Lonnie and Chris have come back. They asked me a while ago if they could join the church. And uh, they have come from Beacon Baptist Church and they want to come back into fellowship. Lonnie said we came home. Come up here. You know, Lonnie got saved since he's been gone. They've been in service where they were. But I'm thankful they're back home. Amen. I believe the Lord brought them back. And uh, get up close to them. Let a little bit of rub off on you a little bit. <laughs> uh, they came to serve. We're gonna we're gonna here's our exercise between the service. But John's gonna sing something or do something and we're gonna come by here and welcome our brother and sister back into this church. I mean they've been our brother and sister over there, but they're they're back home. And the way I read it, when that prodigal went home. The father ran out there down the road and picked him up, hugged him, and 
had a celebration when he came home. It's time to celebrate. These prodigals have come home. <laughs> I feel like a prodigal. <laughs> no, we're, back. we're glad they're back. Thank the Lord for them coming back. They were a blessing when they were here before, but they'll be a blessing now. Come around and give them a right hand or a hug or something. And just let them know you love them. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you.